This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's a show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, we'll take a look at how the coronavirus is taking a toll on our furry, scaly, and feathery friends. We'll share tips about keeping your dog active while practicing social distancing, how you can enjoy nature from the comforts of your home. And Dr. Major is here to help you with your pet questions. Also throughout the hour, we'll talk with Paul Hartfield about the diverse selection of crawfish found in the state. You can join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 877 Six seven two seven four six four, or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday mornings at 6. All right, so good morning. We've got uh, Dr. Majors joining us via the telephone. Good morning, Dr. Major. Good morning. And Libby and Paul Hartfield, I think, will be joining us via Skype. Libby, are you with us? Yes. All right. Good morning. Very good. So we're all practicing social distancing here, but we did want to bring you the show because we know how important and how much you enjoy uh, the local programming here on MPB Think Radio. So it might sound a little bit different, but we're all here uh, working together to make this thing work. So, Dr. Major, first things first, how are things at the clinic? Are you still open or how has the uh, situation affected your business? Well, we're we're still open, definitely. Uh, you know, we have sick animals that we have to treat. We have uh, emergencies. We are uh, instituting a program whereby we go to the client's car and pick up the dog or cat, take it into the clinic, but trying to, again, do the social distancing that we can rather than have a waiting room full of people. So we're uh, trying to facilitate care of our animals, <coughs> excuse me, but not to have as much social contact with the client as, as we have in the past. And this may... Um, be difficult for some people, but we will communicate and uh, we'll take our very best care of the pets that we can. All right. And Libby, you know, normally we'd ask for events, but I, I imagine with this current situation, many of the events are being canceled. Uh, so my, this might be a time. I, I mean, I, again, I, I guess you're allowed to get outside. I'm not sure about that. But if, as, as long as you kind of stay away from other people. But uh, uh, really, I guess no, no events to share. Well, what I have, I've been kind of looking up state parks, and <clears throat> some of them, the RV camper, campgrounds are open. If you, you know, if you're kind of self-contained in your RV, you can go to some of the state parks, but they've closed bathhouses and bathrooms, of course, to kind of minimize contact that the staff, trying to protect their staff and visitors. So I would say you probably need to call each park that are open for camping uh i think some of the trails are open so you know if, if you have a piece of woods that you that's great to get out and walk otherwise maybe it's a good time to really get to know what's happening in your own there are a lot of of the migrant um migrating birds are coming back to mississippi starting to hear reports of um of hummingbirds uh, black and white warblers, I saw two, two posts this morning that they're in the state. So um, it's a good time to get outside. And if you can order an online birding book very easily for your phone or iPad. So you might want to think about doing that if you don't have a bird book. 
and uh, start trying to identify what you're seeing and hearing. And uh, it's easy to um, go online now and Google the, the song of birds that you're seeing. So if you want to start learning the song, it's a really good opportunity to watch the bird and hear the song and then listen to it online a few times and it helps you remember it. So that's something people could be doing as well. That's a good idea, and, and I, I think I can hear some birds in the background there. So you've got some uh, that you're enjoying this morning in your yard. I think that may have yeah, been we're outside. My, that may have, yeah. may have been my little bird also. He's, okay. he's talking to us this morning. <laughs> he uh, he he can't talk very well, but he he does. He just made a little sound. Then he likes to whistle, so he's, he's good. Uh, so, Doctor Major, if uh, so, folks, go ahead, Libby. I was going to say, your bird might be talking to the birds in my yard. So <laughs> they do that. You know, they really do. Yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, so, Dr. Major, folks are stuck in the house, and they've got pets, uh, dogs especially. Uh, what are some suggestions on, on maybe the folks keeping active, but also ways to maybe keep their dog, give them some exercise throughout the day? There's, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, there's nothing wrong with getting out and walking your dog. You don't see many people on the streets in the neighborhoods. I think you can keep your social distance and at the same time exercise your dogs. Neither the dogs nor you need to be stir-crazy. And uh, there's also games that you can play with your dogs. I was watching one of my dogs this morning was lining up his toys in a straight line, which I thought was pretty cool, (laughs) and uh, then was rearranging them and actually was putting one of them next to the shower door. I guess he was going to try to give it a bath. But anyway... (laughs) Uh, we can we can uh, enhance or help help our animals uh, get plenty of exercise, I think, and also exercise ourselves. That's important. Uh, you, you're right there because that way the dog is uh, dogs and cats. I think because my cat loves to chase uh, balls down the hallway. Uh, but uh, you're helping them stay active. But also, as you said, it helps you maybe avoid stir craziness because you're having uh, some fun interaction with with your pets. Right. I saw a little blurb yesterday that said, you know, said this was an angry cat because uh, it's the cat's house and now somebody else is in it all day long. <laughs> you know, it's messing, messing up that cat's routine. I, I will I'll second that because you're right. I, when I come home, my cat gives me that look like, what are you doing here? Yeah, I'm supposed to have this for a couple hours still to myself. Right. Uh, there are some tips uh, that our producer Java found. If you if you're in your house, especially if you have some stairs, uh, you might want to uh, give your uh, a dog, your you and your dog, uh, up and down the stairs a couple of times uh, during the day uh, to keep active, uh, and also maybe just kind of walk through the house, uh, just doing something uh, for you both to stay active and avoid uh, going stir crazy. Uh, Doctor Major, though, I guess too, this would be a good time to make sure uh, that you're not overfeeding your pet. Absolutely, and, and a lot of us, uh, a lot of our pets have come out of the cooler, not that it was that cold this winter, but still have picked up some weight, and uh, maybe that's true for the pet owner as well. So I think it's good to maybe uh, assess uh, your dog or cat and be sure that you're not overfeeding uh, and under-exercising. It's hard to make a cat exercise if it doesn't want to. I understand that. <laughs> but uh, certainly you can cut back on food a little bit or pick a food that might have less calories. So it is a good time to assess weight. Uh, I think uh, most of our pets will start to lose weight uh, with more exercise during the spring and summer. 
You are listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines. If you have a question for Dr. Major about your pet or if you'd like to uh, tell us how you're handling the situation with the coronavirus, how you're kind of staying sane with you and your animals around you, uh, we'd like to hear from you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. When we get back, we'll have longtime friend of the show, Paul Hartfield, talk about the diverse number of mud bugs that can be found in the state. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest today is biologist Paul Hartfield. If you want to join the conversation with a question or a comment, the phone lines are open, so give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So Paul Hartfield is a biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and mainly works with the conservation and recovery of endangered and rare species. He's worked with several species of crawfish since 1980. Good to hear from you again uh, today, Paul. The first thing that we want you to do is settle the debate, because I had to ask Java about this this morning. Is it crawfish, crayfish, either one, neither? What's the situation there? It depends on where you are or what your personal preference is. Up north, they call them crayfish, and as you move toward the south, they become crawfish, and we, when you get real down south, they're called crawdads or mud bugs. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of other names as well. Um, I think other countries and maybe out west, there uh, a lot of people call them freshwater lobsters. In some places, they're called mountain lobsters, and uh, over in Australia, they call them yabbies. <laughs> So are they related to lobsters? What exactly is a crawfish? They're, they're crustaceans. They're related to lobsters, crabs, and shrimp. Um, but they're not closely related to those guys. It's a, about a relationship like we're related with other mammals. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're crustaceans. They're very similar to a lobster uh, in, t- in terms of appearance, but yet they are, they're also incredibly different. Also, crawfish are freshwater. There are some things in other countries that are called crawfish that are actually uh, brackish or saltwater, but they're not truly crawfish. It's just a local name. Uh, so you mentioned freshwater. Where, where would we find crawfish in Mississippi primarily? Pretty much anywhere that you look. They're in ditches, uh, ponds, uh, intermittent streams, perennial streams, large rivers, pretty much any habitat that, that is at least seasonally wet, if not permanently wet. Well, there are even prairie crawfish, right, that just look for wet places. and Actually, prairie crawfish live on tops yeah. of hills where there is no water. Mm-hmm. And they burrow down into uh, all the way to the water table, sometimes as much as uh, 15 feet or more hmm. to hit the water table. 
You're listening to Creature Comforts, and we're visiting today with Paul Hartfield. He's our biologist, friend of the program, a frequent guest here. We talk about crawfish throughout the hour. If you have a question about that, or if you have a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call because the phone lines are open at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So they're called mud, mud bugs, I guess, because they like to burrow down in the mud? Yeah, they're generally found in, in the dirt. You, you, you quite often see tun- uh, uh, tunnels or what do you call them, the chimneys, mm-hmm. crawfish chimneys. And even uh, some places on your lawn, you may see crawfish chimneys. And th- that's from their burrowing activity. Uh, most crawfish burrow to some degree. There's several free-living species in perennial streams, uh, but even they will dig down into the substrate a little bit. Uh, other crawfish, pretty much every one, uh, will burrow, build a burrow. And what they'll do is they'll dig down to the water table and make a chamber, a little small chamber, maybe cup size or larger. Uh, and then the, the mud that they have, from excavating that chamber, that's what forms the chimney that you see in the yard or along the edge of the stream. So how many different kinds of crawfish uh, do we have here in Mississippi? Here in Mississippi, um, we've got almost, I think, just over 60 species of wow. crawfish. But that includes 17 crawfish that are found nowhere else in the world. They're only here in Mississippi. Uh, worldwide, there's about 600 species more than half of those species live in the southeastern U.S. So this is the epicenter of crawfish diversity. We have more different species of crawfish in the southeast than they have pretty much in the rest of the world. Um, that means that they probably evolved here as a group and then dispersed uh, as the continent spread apart. Things got isolated. Uh, but I guess that means also they, they kind of like the, the conditions here. I mean, it's favorable for them to, to thrive in, I guess. Oh, yeah. We've got such a variety of freshwater streams and ponds and fins and swamps and bogs and all these different kinds of habitat, different geological strata. They've been, uh, they've been around for a long time. Um, trying to remember somewhere I read exactly how long, but they've probably been around for a couple hundred years million years they've been here since the dinosaurs probably Hmm. so they've been around quite a while now when you talk about our different species too then you get into even a a greater variety of names we've got several species of dwarf crawfish each with their own name we've got um the uh, burrowing crawfish the prairie crawfish that libby just mentioned we've got the rivulet crawfish uh all kinds of species groups my favorite uh, is the ambiguous crawfish. I've always wondered how he got that. <laughs> so the ones that are most familiar to Mississippians, uh, what about a size? What are we talking about? How big they are? Here in Mississippi, if, if you've eaten crawfish uh, at a crawfish bowl, mm-hmm. and the biggest one you've seen, that's about as big as they get here in Mississippi. That's red swamp crawfish. They're pretty large. Uh, in other places, though, the, the largest crawfish in the world live in Australia, the yabbies. And uh, some of those get up to 10 pounds, if you can imagine that. Um, generally, there are four or five. There, there are a couple species that run to the four and five pound range. But uh, they're very large over there. Ours are a few ounces at the best. 
That would make uh, quite a crawfish boil then down there in Australia. <laughs> yeah, that's I can believe it. bigger than a chicken. Huh? <laughs> yeah. uh, um, what, what about... Now, we've, al- we've also got the smallest crawfish here in Mississippi. The smallest crawfish in the world lives here. It's called the... It's a variety of a dwarf crawfish. This one is called the least crawfish. Lives along the coast. Um, little tiny thing, maybe uh, maximum size is about an inch in length, I believe. So that's least L-E-A-S-T crawfish? That's him. <laughs> that's aptly named then, right? Because it's the smallest one. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're visiting today on Creature Comforts with a biologist Paul Hartfield from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and we can talk about crawfish throughout the hour. Dr. Major is here ready to take some pet questions, and we've got some open phone lines. So if you're at home listening, give us a call to join the conversation. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 So, uh, Paul, what do, the, uh, what do crawfish eat? Well, they eat pretty much anything, uh, small animals, uh, small invertebrates, plants, uh, living or dead, they don't care. Um, some species have been uh, agricultural pests, may still be agricultural pests. I haven't heard of them being too bad, but those prairie crawfish that we've already mentioned a couple times, uh, back in the early 1900s, late 1800s, when uh, people were farming the, the prairies here in Mississippi, uh, they could they they would plant and, and literally at night the crawfish could wipe out an entire crop, so they would drive wagons through the fields and uh, have people just pick them up and and fill barrels full of crawfish trying to control them. Later on they would poison they'd pour arsenic down in their burrows trying to kill them that way. Uh, we don't have that problem much anymore because everything is fairly sterile. Uh, the way people farm today, there's not much for crawfish to eat until the plants actually come out. And, of course, it's not a very uh, healthy place for much of anything to live, a, a agricultural field. Um, but they're easy to feed. Now, I've got a question for, for Dr. Major. Uh, in Europe and Asia, crawfish are pretty big as pets. And I'm wondering how many crawfish he's had to treat here in Mississippi. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> I think most Mississippians would rather eat one than have a pet. I have seen some unusual yeah. pets, but that that was not one. I, I guess I have seen one or two, you know, and somebody would have a freshwater aquarium, but uh, not not as a patient. Okay. Uh, we have got a caller on the line, so why don't we invite uh, Bill into the conversation? Bill, you're on the air with us, so go ahead, please. Yeah, I got a question for the pet doctor. Okay. Uh, I got a female dog, a Staffordshire Terrier, and when she was about eight or ten weeks old, I had her spayed, and now she's two years old, and every now and then she bleeds, and I, and I don't. I asked the vet about it, and he said he thought it looked like dirt, but it's not dirt; it's blood. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, there could be several things going on, and, you know, it would be very difficult for me to tell you exactly. What age did you say she was spayed? When she was old enough, I'm thinking 10 or 12 weeks or something. I would hope hope it was more like four or five months. Uh, 10 or 12 weeks is awfully young. Oh, maybe maybe it was like six months or something. I don't know, but he wanted to wait. When we first got her, she was real little. 
you know, right, like, right. Okay. Sounds like that was fine. Occasionally there will be a bleeding, and I say this, and you have to understand the when you spay a dog. Uh, the ovaries are removed, and the uterus is removed down close to the cervix. Now, sometimes there will be some occasional bleeding from the stump of the cervix, uh, and that's possible, but it's not normal for it to bleed. I would say that uh, several things could be, be involved. Does she act like she's actually coming into season when she does this, or is it just an occasional bleeding? No, it's... Here in the last few weeks, it's been about every oh, three or four days. You know, my wife got baby wipes right. cleaning her up because it's like making right. stain stain around her. You know, for sure. And, and uh, I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that there may be something fairly serious going on for her to be bleeding like this. Uh, I would consider doing some blood work, uh, possibly some antibiotic, depending on what your vet says. But uh, there, that's not normal. So we need you need he, to. Yeah, he said he could go in through a rear end with something and and look around. I don't know what he's going to do going in that way. But then I'm not a doctor, so. I... Right. Well, I think you need to follow up. She doesn't need to continue to be bleeding. So uh, if worse comes to worst, uh, certainly get a second opinion if you're not satisfied with what's going on. Okay. Okay, well, it's not a lot, but it's just like it's leaking, you know, by every three days, you'll see it on her, and it does, she does pick up dirt because she squats down so low to the ground. So, it's possible she I mean, could have some sort of urinary tract uh, problem, uh, whether it was, uh, how old is she now? She's two years old, and she's, right. I don't know how much overweight, but she's right. about 84 <laughs> pounds. So. Okay, she's pretty big. But, yes, continue to have this checked out. There's got to be a solution, and uh, I, I would advise uh, going further with uh, trying to find out what's what's wrong. All right, Bill, thanks for your call. Yeah, just follow up with your vet on that one. That uh, sounds concerning enough that you might want to keep a close eye on that. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's take another call before our next break, and we'll talk to David, who's called in from Jackson today. Good morning, David. You're on the air with us. Hey there. How are you all this morning? We're doing good. How about you? Doing well. So I just uh, caught the back end of the conversation about crawfish's pets, and I just wanted to say that that growing up, I grew up in South Louisiana, but through, uh, very early on, that was a real cheap way to get a home aquarium is to just go out, grab some some minnows and some crawfish, and watch them snatch them up in the uh, in the home aquarium. But you know, when when you um, it's always great when you're out at a boil, which who knows when the next time we'll get to do that, but uh, to just keep an eye out for a blue one every once in a while. A good blue crawfish will pop up in the bunch, and those can go for sometimes $20 at a at a pet shop. Um, but they're gorgeous to keep in freshwater aquariums, and they're relatively easy to take care of so long as you don't put any fancy fish in there for them to eat. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, David, thanks for the call. Uh, <clears throat> Paul, What uh, the blue one uh, apparently is rare. What, what colors are uh, crawfish usually? Well, there's a, they have a variety of colors. They're just really an interesting and beautiful group. And that's one of the reasons they're prized in the um, in other countries as pets, because they don't see the variety that we have. Um, yeah, blue ones in in terms of the um, the red the red crawfish that you eat in a boil, uh, the blue ones are are really quite often they they could be a morph, just a, a throwback, 
or they might be another species that got uh, stuck in there by mistake. Several species are always blue. Again, those prairie crawfish, the Jackson prairie crawfish, they're very blue, beautiful crawfish. They're also called bearded crawfish because they have beards on their on their pinchers. Um, so that's another little interesting fact there that make them attractive. Um, another one is the javelin crawfish. They're they're always blue, this gorgeous blue, the blue of a bluebird. Imagine a bluebird, and that's the kind of blue these things are. Uh, other species occasionally you will have a throwback, one that will just have a mutation, and you'll get individuals that will come up blue like that. Uh, so it's, I'm, I'm not sure what he was looking at. But, yeah, the, the colored ones are highly prized for pets um, and very beautiful. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Time for another break this morning. When we return, we'll continue talking crawfish with Paul Hartfield. Also, we'll let you know where you can virtually get up close and personal with zoos and parks during this time of social distancing. So stay tuned. To join the conversation, call us with your questions and comments at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Or email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest today is biologist Paul Hartfield. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. So during this time of social distancing, many zoos and animal parks have started virtual tours on the web. We'll post a link with our podcast to many of them, but you have the Oregon Zoo doing live shows on their Facebook page. The famous San Diego Zoo has 11 live cams to peek in on their animals. The Cincinnati Zoo is hosting Home Safari Facebook Lives, showcasing one of their animals and offering a fun educational activity that you can do at home. And again, with children out of school, I think a lot of parents are looking for fun things that are educational as well. So they might want to check out uh, that things, the the Home Safari things that the uh, the Cincinnati Zoo is doing. Uh, This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Looks like we have another caller on the line. And it's our friend Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air. Good morning. How's everybody? <laughs> uh, I, I was wondering. Hi, Sue. Hi, y'all. I was wondering uh, um, how big could could a, could a crawfish get, and are they part of the lobster family? Because they look, look like little miniature lobsters. I, I mean, are they part of the lobster family? No, they're not part of the lobster family, Sue. They're crustaceans. They're they're similar in that sense but no they're distant, distantly related to lobsters very distantly related okay thank you good to hear from you sue we've got some open phone lines if you want to join our conversation the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four you can email the show send it to animals at mpbonline.org uh, Paul, if you would remind us uh, the size, you said that there, there is kind of a wide variety of, of size of crawfish. Yeah, our hours here go from 
fractions of an ounce to, uh, you know, one or two ounces, maybe three or four. I don't know how much those big crawfish weigh at a crawfish boil, but that's about as big as they get here. And uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, you go to Australia, you can get 10 pounders there, um, five to 10 pound crawfish. Uh, Are those good to eat? Oh, yeah. Pretty much every crawfish is good to eat unless it's in a crawfish boil and it has a straight tail. Don't eat the straight tails. Oh, okay. Everybody knows that who's been to a boil. But uh, pretty much any of them are, are, are edible. Uh, everything eats crawfish, not just humans, but um, uh, many birds and mammals and uh, other invertebrates and fish, of course. They love them. They're great bait. That's what they've been used for a lot is bait. Um, one thing I, I, I meant to mention earlier, and uh, I don't think I have, is that they're very, some species are very habitat-specific. Uh, they're, they're small, defined habitats. Those endemic species, the ones that live nowhere else that we have here in Mississippi, uh, they may, their, their range may encompass only, uh, you know, maybe 50 or 60 square miles. A very, very small area is where they're, uh, they're found. Others are wide-ranging, widespread. Some of the Canberras are, are pretty much all over the southeast. Um, some are incredibly hardy. They can live pretty much anywhere. Our species, um, we don't have any invasives that have come here, but our species are invasive in other parts of the country or in other parts of the world. Um, the um, red swamp crawfish, the ones that we love to eat, they, they get distributed uh, wide and large, as I'm sure you know in uh, if you've ever been to a boil, when they're washing the live crawfish, there'll always be a few kids out there pulling them out and playing with them and born freeing them, which is a real problem. <laughs> uh, others, uh, the, the rusty crawfish is, the, is a, a real problem in parts of the U.S. It came out of the Ohio River Valley uh, where it lived, and um, it's believed to have been spread all over the United States uh, as a bait People buy them for bait, and uh, when they get done fishing, uh, they just dump them out. Or you've got a kid in the boat that born frees several animals, and so they're pretty much they they've spread all over the uh, southeast and and uh, Midwest and Northeast. Very hardy animal, and very competitive uh, with the native crawfish, as well as with some fish and other invertebrates, and they can. They're very prolific. They, they can reproduce rapidly, and they're real tough on uh, native aquatic vegetation as well when you get an introduced species like that. Ours, the, the rusty and the red swamp particularly, have spread to Europe, and I think Australia as well. But um, the, the uh, red swamp has probably spread because people were using it for food, and it's easy to raise uh, easy to uh, easy to grow in ponds and even tanks for food. So I think that's the main way it's spread. And they're very competitive when they get out. But the, the problem they've got is that they spread a, a disease. Uh, I think it's called uh, um, the crayfish plague. And uh, that disease is endemic. It, it's na native to uh, our part of the world. So it's not a a huge deal here, but these guys go to other parts of the world. They they take that 
disease with them and they wipe out a lot of native crawfish. So that's pretty tough on them. They're not resistant to it. Let me put it that way. Kind of like what we're going through now with this COVID-19. So you're saying basically they they were exported to other areas and maybe under controlled uh, circumstances tried to use as food, but somehow escaped into the natural environment and then uh, began to, to wreak havoc on, on some of the native species. Yes. And, and that's also through the pet trade again. People will get tired of their pets and they release them or flush them down the toilet. They get away. I want to circle back to something you mentioned a little earlier. What What is it about the straight-tailed ones in the crawfish bowl that why would you want to avoid those? Well, that means they were dead before they were cooked. Aha. Okay. And so, obviously, you've not been to many crawfish bowls. I, I must admit that I have not. <laughs> it seemed like it was always, what is or, it, pinch the tail? Oh, that always seemed like too much work to me. <laughs> what is it? So, what is it? It's, it's, yeah, they're they're... They're dead. When, when, when you throw a live crawfish into hot water, uh, they curl up. So okay. Most of your crawfish that you eat, you'll see they're, they're in a little ball. They're curled up. You see one that's straight, that means he was dead when he was cooked. And because these things are now transported long distances, they're kept alive without refrigeration. Um, you can get some bacterial growth in there. And, and even though the, the boiling water would kill a lot of it, you st- it's not something that you would want to eat can hurt you and what is that it is what is pinch is it pinch the tail is that uh, like see you, as you can see i'm a complete novice on this so pinch the tail and and take the head off or something i help me out here for just a minute all right there's two main body parts all to right crawfish you know they have many body segments but the two parts are the thorax and uh, and head which is one unit and that's the big thing and then behind the thorax and head uh, that's uh, that's also where all the legs are attached uh, you have the abdomen, which is multi-segmented, and they have little swimmerettes and gills on them if you look underneath them. Uh, so, yeah, you want to pull that uh, abdomen off the thorax. You uh, peel some of the scales back, pinch the bottom of the tail, and usually a nice, uh, tasty piece of meat pops right out. And if you're a true coon ass, then you will suck the head. <laughs> okay. And so what we're eating are the abdomen. We're really eating the good. abdomen, yeah. We're eating the muscles in the abdomen. And the reason why they suck the heads is uh, you'll see some yellow stuff in there that is fat. And it's the crawfish fat that they're sucking out that has a, a strong flavor, uh, enhanced taste, if you will. All right. Uh, we've got another caller on the line. Why don't we invite uh, Mike from Natchez into our conversation? Good morning, Mike. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. I love your show. Thank you. I have, I have basically a comment. Uh, back in the late 50s, I went to a military school outside of Natchez called Jefferson Military College High School. And all the cadets south of I-10, if I-10 existed back then, from South Louisiana, knew the crawfish where it was, were, but the, but the Mississippi boys never heard of it. And then uh, I, I don't know when it became popular in Mississippi because we returned back 20 years ago. But anyway, I got another story. When Walmart, Walmart opened up here in Natchez, they had a, a lobster tank. This relates to the lady that talked about lobster and, and crawfish earlier. And the little boy goes up and says, Daddy, Daddy, look, that's the biggest crawfish you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I love your show, and I just want to make a comment that basically crawfish are, are recently new in Mississippi. I mean, new like since the late 60s, 
before that, nobody, nobody from Mississippi, at least the boys I went to school with, the cadets, had no from Mississippi had no idea what what crawfish were. Thank uh-huh. you very much. Love your show. All right, Mike. Thanks for the couple of stories there. Glad to hear uh, that you called in today. We've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to join our conversation, it's one eight seven seven MPB ring. The number is one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. It's time for our last break of the hour. When we get back, we'll continue talking crawfish and taking your questions and comments. So stay tuned. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. We're glad you're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield and Paul Hartfield. If you missed any of today's program, you can always subscribe to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB Public Media app. So we've been talking with biologist Paul Hartfield about crawfish. It looks like we've got a caller on the line. So this time we're going to say good morning to Keith in Gulfport. Go ahead, Keith. You're on the air with us. Hey, good morning. I just wanted to relay a story to you guys. I lived in Arizona for over 20 years, and from being from Mississippi, I would go looking for crawfish, and I would went up to the Picacho Reservoir, which would hold water to feed farmland around Arizona, and they would flood it regularly, and when they flooded it, there were bass that lived in there, big ones, and there were also crawfish that lived in there. But the crawfish would climb up into the mesquite bushes when they flooded it, and I could tie a cooler onto my leg or my bell tube and walk through and just pick the crawfish right out of the mesquite bushes and throw them in the bucket and bring them to the house and boil them. Just thought that would be an interesting story for you. All right, Keith, thanks uh, very much. Yeah. That's uh, good to hear from you. Thanks for joining in our conversation this morning. Uh, Libby, I understand that uh, you've got a message from the state parks that you want to share with us. Well, uh, they just let us know that most of the state parks are open for fishing and also for people that want to walk the nature trails. Okay. So that's, that's and you know, we didn't mention today, but fishing would be a great thing for families to do. If you haven't fished in a while, particularly, you might want to dust off your equipment and maybe read up a little online and find a good place to go fishing with your kids. And that's one where you can, you know, stay far enough apart from other people. And, you know, I think the social distancing applies even within families, if I'm correct. But, yeah, your fishing is certainly a way where you can spread out, have some fun and enjoy the great outdoors that Mississippi uh, has to offer. So, uh, Paul, is it true that a crawfish can uh that a difference between a lobster and a crawfish is that the crawfish can drown and a lobster can't. Is this correct? And where, where am I going on this one? <laughs> well, well, we'll have to, we'll have to get some guidance here um, from our veterinary expert, because I'm not sure a lobster or a crawfish can drown. What happens, uh, crawfish has, have gills, uh, just like lobsters have gills. They're on those body segments. And that's uh, the, the interesting thing about crawfish is that they can breathe 
in water or out of water as long as they're moist and damp. That's why they have to have water around. Um, so if you're in a tank of water and you use up all the oxygen, you will die uh, from asphyxiation is what I would call it rather than drowning. You, you mean it if you're a crawfish. If you're a crawfish <laughs> and, um, or a lobster. Okay. So either of those can asphyxiate if you're in a tank without enough, uh, without an air tube or something to, to provide oxygen. The, if, uh, if there's something to crawl out on, the um, crawfish can crawl out and still survive. Whereas the lobster, of course, he'll be in salt water. If he crawls out, he'll, he'll asphyxiate because he can't breathe that air the way a crawfish can. So no, they can't drown, but they will die if you keep them in a tank without enough oxygen. All righty. And what about uh, regenerating lost limbs? Is that something that crawfish can do? Yeah, uh, most any crustacean will do that. Uh, they molt multiple times as they grow. They have to shed their exoskeleton, their skeletons on the outside of their body. And as they molt, they can regenerate limbs uh, in successive moltings, claws, legs, um, things of that sort. All right. Swimmerettes. We've got uh, Lee from Woodfield on the line with a question. Go ahead, Lee. You're on the air with us. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to ask the crawfish specialist, Dr. Hartfield, there. What about predation? We know the heron and the bass hunt them down, but we want to know what else just preys on crawfish and also the female, or is it the male? And they have the eggs under the tail, and how long do they hold those eggs there before they hatch them? And I hang up. All right. Always good to hear from you, Lee. Thanks for the questions. Paul, go ahead. Those are great questions, Lee. Uh, yeah, as I said, everything eats crawfish. Coons, possums, anything that stumbles across them, uh, mink, otter, uh, any mammal that lives along the edge of the water, uh, herons. Um, storks, pretty much uh, all those wading birds, if they see a crawfish, they will eat them with gusto. Bats will even eat them, I've heard. Yeah, yes. bats will. Uh, there's fishing bats that will mm -hmm. swoop down and, and grab them. Um, I don't know. I guess the biggest predators would be fish, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The ones that live in the stuff. water. Yeah. The ones that are on land, um, no. But uh, generally, those, the, 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 the burrowing crawfish, they come out at night. So if you've got crawfish burrows in your yard or something, um, if you get out with a flashlight and just look in the burrow, quite often you'll see them on the edge of the burrow, uh, or they might come out and, and begin feeding, and you'll actually see them in your lawn feeding. And that's when uh, these nocturnal mammals generally hunt for them. During the day, the, the wading birds, they're in the water looking for the free-living things in the water that don't burrow as much, that are more exposed. And, of course, the, the fish are, are after the ones in the water. The ones uh, with the berries under their tails, those are the females. Uh, they hold the, 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 the males inseminate the females. And um, they hold a sperm packet. And then they release the eggs on, and hold them on their abdomen and then fertilize them with the sperm packet that the males give them. Uh, that's how that works. And then... Most species will hold those eggs until they um, hatch and go under a, a few juvenile molts until they become juvenile crayfish. They'll go from larvae to juvenile crayfish. 
on the abdomen of the female. And when they're mature enough, then they will crawl off and go about their business. So you're looking at the females if they have berries or baby crawfish under their tails. So what is the purpose of molt? I mean, why do the crawfish molt? It's almost like the, the one sort of skin wears out, is, and so they need a new coating? Uh, yes and no. Uh, mainly they molt to grow. Okay. It's when that, that exoskeleton gets hard, and so as they grow, then they can no longer fit that, that, that shell that they're in, so they have to shed it, and then they'll have a soft one underneath, and they can expand and grow. And then it hardens, and then after a few weeks uh, or period of time, then they will have to molt again to grow more. You know, that's kind of like me. Every summer I seem like I have to uh, get rid of a pair of shorts because I can't fit <laughs> into them anymore. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> uh, we, you talked about that there are a number of uh, crawfish that are native, that are exclusive to Mississippi. What is the population for the crawfish here in the state? Is it, is it healthy? Well, it depends on what species you're talking about. Uh, things like the red swamp crawfish, they're widespread. They're very hardy. They're all over the place. Uh, there's a lot of concern for crawfish. I think only only about four species are listed as endangered uh, in the U.S. No, or, no, I think it's more than that, six. About half of those are cave species. That live in caves and very localized, and the others are, are very localized as well. Um, but so when you get these small, just smallly distributed crayfish, locally distributed, uh, there are some concerns for them. We've got um, a number of species of concern, is what we call them, the things that are locally restricted. We don't know much about, but every pretty much every one that we've looked at. Uh, it winds up that they've just been undercollected. People don't really know much about them. And um, so we tend to push, expand that range out. And when you're dealing with species, let, let's take a, I've been working on the rivulet crayfish lately. Um, that's a group of about six species in north and central Mississippi that are pretty much endemic to our state. They only occur here. And um Pretty much every species that we've looked at is more widespread than we previously thought it was. And, and when you consider their habitats, their primary habitats are roadside ditches. So there's not a lot of concern there for a roadside ditch. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty uh, widespread habitat that's not in any kind of a danger uh, other than from local actions. And there we can work with uh, highway department, county road people to uh, kind of protect those uh, uh, intermittent wetlands along the edges of roads, and and we can manage them pretty well without uh, putting them under the Endangered Species Act. I think the state only recognizes um, one listed species um, here in Mississippi. Uh, Maybe one of the guys from the state can call in. I I, I really don't remember what that is, but um, so they're, they're not in too bad of shape. They're they're really fairly, fairly well off. And I wanted to make a comment too. the previous caller that said that boys back in the fifties didn't know what a crawfish was. He was probably talking about city boys because <laughs> country boys have caught crayfish um, for a long time, mainly to use for fishing bait. Uh, it's true that they didn't get popular um, as a food 
popular in the sense we know it today until the I think probably the 70s or 80s. All right. But, um, but, they, but they've been using them for bait for a long time. We're going to have to wrap it up there. That's fine. Creature Conference is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and Paul, uh, and Paul Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell.